Welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. I remember as a kid, my dad, I was probably, I don't know, five years old. My dad desperately wanted me to be able to ride the rides at Disneyland. To accomplish this feat, he made me wear cowboy boots the entire day at Disney to make me tall enough to ride this ride. I don't remember, I just remember the story, but in life there are so many times I, I don't, that, that we are not enough to do what we want to do. I don't know if you've ever been in line with a young person and they want to go on a water slide, they want to go on a ride, and have you ever been at that point of disappointment where you take them to that line, you get all the way to the top, and they go, will you please stand here? And they go, I'm sorry, you're not tall enough. And if you've ever seen that little kid when they have that moment of I'm not enough, I'm not tall enough, and you have to walk them down that stairs of shame when you're on that water slide, it's sad. It's sad to see them. And in life, these things of not being enough, it's, it's all throughout life. You go to get your first car, and they tell you, you don't have enough credit. You go to buy your first house, and they go, they tell you, you don't make enough money. You go, to, you go to apply for a school, a college, and they go, your grades are not good enough. And there are so many times in life where we're told we don't have or we are not enough, and it's just this constant trying to please the world in being enough and whatever enough looks like. Paul struggled with the same thing of feeling like he was not enough. You want to know the good thing is God never asks us to be enough. Jesus doesn't say, are you good enough? Are you enough to get to heaven? Because the reality is when it came to the rules and regulations of getting into heaven, we were never going to be enough. But with Jesus, Jesus makes us enough. Not on our abilities, but 100% on his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you make us enough in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those of us who are still going, yes, I love Jesus, but I want to make sure I do. Lord, I pray that we would today unravel that and that we would put our faith solely in you, not in our own strength. God, I ask your blessings upon churches throughout the valley today. Lord, whoever's meeting, wherever they're meeting, Lord, I, I just um, I ask, God, that you would bless them. I pray for Lord Apollo Baptist uh, down the street. Lord, bless them. God, I pray for Happy Valley, um, Happy Valley Church. Lord, I ask that you bless them. Bless Chris over there as he preaches. Bless us here at City View. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to share with you guys some cool things that you may not know that are happening here, that, that are happening. Some are starting soon. So as you know, our heart is to, to be a church that helps churches, that plants churches, that, that ministers churches, that coaches them and all that. So Tony and I spent a couple weeks coaching a church in a building campaign they're getting ready to do. We did that, um, I don't know, probably a month ago. They're getting ready, getting ready to launch that soon here. 
Um, we've been hosting a, a Hispanic church here on campus. Every other Saturday night, they come. They, we have a room all set up for them. They come. They're here. There's anywhere between 17 to 40 um, families that come along with kids that come here. And then starting next week, Sunday morning, during our 11 o'clock, this is the plan, during our 11 o'clock plan, or during our 11 o'clock service, an Ethiopian church will be using the same room. It's a room that we've set up for churches that are going, we need a space, but we don't have a lot of money. And we go, we have the space. We don't have a lot of money either, but we have a space we can give to you. And so they're going to start meeting. So you're going to be seeing a totally different culture around here. They're going to be in our children's ministry. Um, and we just want to bless them and say, you know what? We believe in you and we want to help you with that, whatever. So whatever we can do. So you're going to be seeing new people. Um, they have a church service here during 11 o'clock service over in a room just right in the two-story building that we have all set up for them. So we're excited to see what God is going to continue to do here, not only here at City View, but here in the valley, um, because there's a lot of people that need Jesus. Um, and then one last thing. So you know, um, you, maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. I don't know how many of you are newer or not. But we, um, every Tuesday night, we host the Greenway High School 9-10 football team. Um, there have been multiple of you that have cooked meals. Thank you so much. This week is a week where we're not hosting them. They are actually going to be, um, we are hosting a church planting assessment this week, Tuesday and, and Wednesday all day. So there will be six different couples that are going to be assessed wanting to plant churches here in the valley. So we're hosting that. Um, and but, what, so, but we still want to provide food for Greenway, so we're paying for them to have pizza. And I reached out to a former NFL player, a guy named Prince of Mukamara. Um, he's from the valley, grew up here, went to Apollo High School. I texted him. I said, hey, Prince, is there any way that you come and share with these football players? I gave him a list of all the days, and he picked this coming Tuesday. Um, he's going to be speaking to them. He goes, can I talk about Jesus? I said, yes, but keep it PG, Jesus, because you're not on our campus. You're on demon's ground uh, at Greenway. Um, but I'm like, you know what? You've got a, an audience of these football players that are going to think he's just the coolest guy. I go, so yes, you preach Jesus. So I want you to be praying Tuesday, more, Tuesday night around between 6 to 7.30. Be praying for those young men that they hear the gospel, that their hearts are changed, um, and that God just totally uses this as an, another opportunity that we might see Greenway High School claimed as God's country. All right? So that's what's going on. So we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I, I remember, um, so good morning. My name is Jeremiah. For those of you who knew her or you're watching online, good morning and welcome to City View. I remember the first time this section of scripture impacted my life. It was 1998. I was in chapel service at Calvary Chapel Bible College. And I'm sitting in the front row and I'm overwhelmed with life. I'm overwhelmed with school. I'm overwhelmed with grades. I'm overwhelmed with just all the stuff that comes with being a 19-year-old kid. Probably a relationship, too, that I was hoping to be in. Who knows? I mean, I was, if you, you, most of you don't know who I was as a young man. I was girl crazy. I was girl crazy, I think, from the moment I was born. Um, and it just got worse in college. And, they sent, and I go to Calvary Chapel Bridal College, get a ring by spring or your money back, or give a ring by spring, I guess, for the dude. But I, I just remember that has nothing to do with the story. 
Who knows? That might have been why. I don't know why. I, all I remember is I was sitting on the front seat of the chapel service. And I'm, I don't remember if it, I, what I don't remember is whether God brought this to my mind because I was in 2 Corinthians class or whether the speaker that night was preaching out of 2 Corinthians. But what I do remember is I was overwhelmed with everything going on in my life and I felt like a failure. Anybody ever felt that way? I felt like I was not enough. And I just remember in that moment getting down on my knees and God going, you were never meant to be enough. Your adequacy comes from me. And then fast forward now, and now I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor um, for seventh and eighth graders for eight years. And then I had just been asked to take over as overseeing all youth ministry at a church here in the valley. And so I go and I, and I, I take over and I'm, I'm leading now the high school ministry. I'm preaching on a Wednesday night. A lot of the high school students had me as their junior high pastor. So it's the first year. It's within the first few weeks. And I, I know some of them don't like me. Some of them don't like that their junior high pastor is their high school pastor now. Some of them are like, is he just going to be this whatever I was in junior high? I, I look back. If I could change how I led as a youth pastor, I would, I, there's so much I would do different, but that's neither here nor there. And I remember one Wednesday night, I was, I was, I'd preached. I don't know even what I preached on. I couldn't tell you. But I remember some kids just being mean, saying some things about me behind my back. And I remember going home that Wednesday night feeling like a failure. Just thinking, I stink as a youth pastor. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I remember going into, we, we, we were renting this house on 31st Avenue in Bell. And I remember going through the garage, going into the dining room, kitchen room area. And I remember falling on my knees feeling like a failure. And I remember God going, Jeremiah, you're never enough on your own. Your adequacy comes from me. And this week, I'm getting ready to preach this sermon and not thinking about how God administered to me in the past. And I just was overwhelmed with just some things that are going on here. Just stuff. Ministry can be heavy. And I came in here, sat right there, and again felt just like a failure. Like, Jeremiah, you need to be this tall to ride this ride. And I'm like, I'm not. And God, again, so gently, so lovingly, goes, Jeremiah, you're never going to be enough on your own. Your adequacy is always in me. And so we come to this passage, this section of Scripture where Paul is struggling. Paul is, is his, he planted this church in Corinth. He's already written, this is his like third letter to them. And he's written to them about living this Christian life. And he feels like he's always having to get on their case about something. He's like, I've poured more time into you than any other church. Why do you stink so bad at being Christians? And they're talking about him behind his back. They're talking about him to his face. And he's just at this point where he feels inadequate again. And he's like, what in the world? Why, why don't you guys get it? 
They're questioning whether or not he's really an apostle. They're questioning whether or not he's really a good leader. They're questioning whether or not he's really a, 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 a godly example. They're questioning whether or not he's called by God. They're questioning everything about his calling. And we come to chapter 3, and I'm going to read chapter 3 right now. It says this. Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. If you have a Bible, underline that verse right there. Verse 5. Underline it, highlight it, circle that, your adequacy, but our adequacy is from God. Like that should be a mantra for you. That should be something that you hold on to. That becomes, there, 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 the more you read God's word, the more God gives you anchor verses for your life. Because there will be moments in your life where you need God to speak to you. He speaks to you mostly through his word. Many of us, we use our phone as that place of the word. It's harder to underline, harder to write notes. I'm going to tell you, and I preach it all the time, this book can never run out of batteries. This book has changed my life. No, it's not this book. It's God speaking through, the, through his ordained words that are in it. Verse 6, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not on letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But at the ministry of death, as letters engraved on stones came forth glory, so the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory is this, in this case had no glory because of the glory that was surpassed that surpassed it. Don't worry, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna help you understand everything here. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And are not like Moses, who used to put on a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading. But their minds were hardened, for until this, this very day, all at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. If you have your pen, underline verses 17 and 18 again now. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So here in 2 Corinthians... Paul is going to outline three comparisons 
or eight, I'm sorry, not three, eight comparisons of the old covenant to the new covenant. The old covenant was the rules and regulations and the laws that, that Moses, if you've ever seen the movie of the Ten Commandments where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments for the people of Israel to follow, the Ten Rules, and then Israel didn't like Ten. They wanted a whole lot more, so they actually invented another 600 plus rules for themselves to follow. And so there's the old covenant. This is how you're supposed to live. This is the way you're going to please God. This is how you're going to make God happy with you. And then there's the new covenant, which is Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and the grace he offers. And Paul starts, verses 1 through 8, Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Meaning, do I need to prove myself to you? Do I need to have somebody write a letter on my behalf, stating a point, proving who I am as an apostle of Jesus Christ? He says, you are my letters. He said, your changed lives are my letters. How you live, the, 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 the reality that you are changed in Jesus, that is proof of who I am and that Jesus is speaking through me. You are letters written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, Because we're not adequate in ourselves. In your own strength, in your own abilities, in your own trying to prove to God that you can be enough. He says, but we're not adequate in ourselves. To consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So Paul confronts these, these, this idea that he's not enough. And then he points out, the, he brings to the remembrance. Now there's, in, in this church, there's a lot of Jewish people, so they understood Jewish culture. And the Jewish people would, would they remember, and to them, Moses was their hero. And he brought the Ten Commandments that were on tablets of stone, the Old Covenant. You do this, God will bless you. You obey these rules, God will love you. You follow these 10 things, these 10 things, you do them and God will be happy with you after you've done each and every one to perfection. Some of us, we still live that way thinking God is up there keeping some tally, some notebook going, oh, they failed at nine o'clock this morning on their way to church because their kid didn't want to do whatever they want to do. So they got mad at their kid or man, they cussed out that driver who cut them off on the way to church. That's a ding. I can't hear their worship today, those sinners. And we live thinking that God is up there with this book, this tally book, judging us. I didn't have my quiet time today. But, you know, then we, what we do is on a Sunday we go, but I'm going to church. So that, that's enough, right, God? And we think that God is up there going, nope, if you didn't read your word on your own before you came to church, that's not good enough. And we're up there, even though we live by grace, we think there's this law. And so this church is struggling with this. And he goes, this, the new covenant is not like the old. And it reminds them of a promise that the prophet Jeremiah wrote hundreds of years before this moment. 
Jeremiah wrote this, not me, but another guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah wrote this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant, Jeremiah is writing about a new promise. They all knew what the old covenant was. They knew how much it was like to feel like a failure every single day. He says, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the old covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, and look at this, which they broke. Man, I don't know about you, but there's so many times where that's what I'm reminded of. Jeremiah, you broke this one. Jeremiah, you did that. Jeremiah, you thought that. Jeremiah, you said that. Jeremiah, you got mad at your kids. Jeremiah, you did this, said this to your wife. Jeremiah, you thought this towards somebody else. Jeremiah, you thought this bad thought about somebody else. Which they broke. God says, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make. This is the new covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their hearts and I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He's talking about the day when Jesus would come. He says, they will not teach again man um, his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord. And here's a promise, the promise that God makes for I will forgive their iniquity. You see, in the old covenant, there was no end of needing to ask for forgiveness. Every time you made a mistake, another sacrifice had to be made. You were always falling short, every. Now, we do too, but we're covered by the grace of Jesus, which we're going to unwrap. He says, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember no more. This new covenant is, is one of relationship. This new covenant is one of love. It's a forgiveness. It's a, it's a permanence. Paul then says, we can have this confidence in this new covenant. We can walk in confidence. With the old covenant, there was no confidence. There, even when the, when the priests would go into the temple to make a sacrifice, once a year, a priest would go into the, this place called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was where this thing was called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was where a sacrifice would be made on behalf of all the people so that they might be enough until their next sin. And what tradition says is that priest would tie a, a rope onto his ankle with bells on it. The reason was if that priest, when he went in to make that sacrifice that day, if he just happened to not be forgiven of every single sin, if he didn't spend enough time going, okay, God, forgive me of this, forgive me of this, if he didn't spend enough time getting forgiveness of all those, when you heard the bell stop, you pulled the rope because that meant he died in the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine living under such condemnation? The thing is, some of you can, because you live that way today because you're not living under grace. See, the people of Israel at this time, the people in this church were struggling with, yes, what was being preached is, yes, Jesus is great, but it wasn't enough. You still need to follow rules. You still need to do all this. You still need to make sure that you're carrying your end of Jesus' death. And so some people, that, that's what was being taught. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Now what was being taught in those days, if you were a Gentile, meaning not a Jew, and you became a Christian, one of the rules was you had to go get circumcised still. 
Can you imagine being a 48-year-old man? You're like, you know what, honey? Yes, I want to follow your Jesus, and I want him to be mine. She goes, oh, honey, I'm so glad. The kids, our families can be changed. There's just one thing. Oh, what, honey? Anything for you. Oh, you've got to be circumcised. you got what? One of the rules, yeah, he goes, well, I thought Jesus died for all my sins. He did. Yes, Jesus is cool. He died. But one of the rules to still be a follower of Jesus, you have to, you have to be circumcised. You want to know how many dudes would be like, no way. Then I don't want this Jesus. But the thing is, those may not be the rules we fall under today, but the rules we fall under today are dress. It's the condemnation of not feeling like we read our Bibles in the morning. It, it's the guilt we feel like when we wake up and we're not, we don't feel like, and any of you ever come to church, you just don't feel like singing. You're like, oh man, I'm such an evil sinner. There's all these rules that we come underneath as, as people of Jesus, thinking we need to prove something to God. There's nothing. You're never enough on your own. And so Paul is trying to now unwrap these ideas, and he, he takes now through the rest of these next um, dozen verses. He says, here's what the old covenant tells you, but here's what the new one says that's true. Verse 6. Jesus, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, the old covenant brought killing, brought death. The old covenant kills. But Paul says, but the new covenant gives life. Jesus made us adequate. The the letter, the law, shows us how we should live. So here is every single rule the Jewish people wrote. 600 and... Thirteen. Six hundred and thirteen rules that said, if you do all of these, you will make God happy. Paul says, the letter, the covenant, the old covenant kills you. Because you read through those that the first one says, first one says, on, on the eight, well, no, the first one says, to love the second one says to know there is a god second one is to to have not uh, to not have any other gods before you so it means any time that you put something in front of god in your life any of you ever do that your cars your money your kids your boyfriend girlfriend anytime you've given something else more time of you than god anytime you put something made it more important than god you broke one so that's only you're only down to like number 2 and it's already killing it's condemning you paul says uh, i'll get that in a little bit the letter kills how does the letter kill well it kills your joy kills your peace it kills your hope 
and it replaces it with frustration, sorrow, hopelessness, guilt, and shame that all come from your inadequacy. That's what the letter does. The letter kills because it shows how inadequate we are to keep the law. It kills the eternal us of being able to go to heaven. The letter kills those who seek salvation through keeping the law. The letter, it kills those who say, okay, if I can follow all of these things, if I can do that, the letter says, no, you can't. That's what the letter does. But, what the? But the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives hope. The Spirit gives peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. You ever have that sense when, for me, like, when I read this passage in 1998, I just remember the Holy Spirit coming upon me going, you don't have to be enough. You fail on your own. The Spirit says, I'm going to give you life. Verses 7 through 9 says this. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stone came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. The second thing Paul says is the old covenant produces like the product of it when you try to live it out when you try to fulfill everything in this what the old covenant produces is it produces condemnation that's what it produces it shows you how far you are from living the way God wants you to live that's the product that, that, that's, that's the result of you trying to live a perfect life on your own. If you're going, okay, God, okay, I'll, I'll serve. Like some of us, the whole reason we serve at church is because we serve out of a place of guilt. Oh, I need to make sure God's happy, so I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna, the pastor talks about, I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna get on a team. So we serve from this place of guilt. Or some of us, we don't serve, and then we feel guilty because we don't serve, and so we're going, but man, God, I guess you're not happy. Maybe you're not blessing us as a family. It has nothing to do with you whether you serve or, or not serve, whether you're being blessed or not. Your guilt comes from thinking that God's going to love you more if you do serve. Here's the truth. The bl- blessing comes out of serving. Because when you get to impact a life in some random way, whether it's in a conversation or helping a family, like... Some mom, there's been times where a single mom will come to church and she got to sit in quiet for an hour and a half while you took care of her screaming little child. And she comes and says, thank you, I needed that this morning. That's a blessing. 
Some of us, we, we give, and we give out of this place of guilt. We're like, I got to give, God, because that's, that's what you say. So we, we, give. we give. We give our money, but we, we give grudgingly. We give not wanting to, and then we miss out on the blessing. But then some of you, because you give, you hear about something that we did, and you go, I got to be a part of that. I I. I gave not because I had to, because I wanted to. You see, there's these rules and regulations. The old covenant produces condemnation, but the new covenant produces righteousness. When Moses brought the law down, which the law started with 10, as if 10 rules, I don't know about you, give me one rule and I will break it. I will manage to break it. Put somewhere that says wet paint, don't touch, and I'm like, how wet? Don't walk on the grass. I mean, I get that one. I'm a grass guy. Um, I like lawns. I like green ones. I get the, but you put a rule and I'm like, but why? Why can't I go that way? Why can't I do that? And I, there's something in us that says, I want to break that rule because who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do? Moses brought the law, 10 laws down, 10 rules. It showed our sin. It showed how far from perfection we were. Was the law good? Were the Ten Commandments good? They are good. When you look at them and you follow, you, you look, go, God, I, I want to make no other gods before me. God, I want to honor my father and your mother, my mother. God, I, I want to make a day, set a day set up for you. God, I don't want to steal. I don't want to murder. I, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to covet. When you look at the law, the law is good, but the law didn't have any power to help you live. The law doesn't say, here you go. The new covenant, there's righteousness. Jesus brought righteousness. Through Jesus, we can be made right with God. Through the law, we were shown how wrong we were. Through Jesus, we are made right. The old covenant commands righteousness. The old covenant says, you have to do this. The new covenant gives righteousness. The new covenant says, Jesus was enough. Put your faith in him, and his righteousness covers you and makes you enough. The old covenant made people hearers of the truth. They knew what they had to do. How do you know what you're supposed to do, but no matter what you know, you still can't do it? Anybody? Because you don't have any power to do it. The new covenant gave us the power to be doers of what God calls us to do. Paul continues. For indeed, what had glory in the case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, how much more that which remains is in glory. The old covenant fades glory. The new covenant is permanent. You see, in Exodus, when, when Moses went up to talk to God in, in the book of Exodus, he went up and he, God told him the Ten Commandments. He, they were carved onto stone. When Moses came down, he did not know. This is found in Exodus chapter 34. It's not going to be behind me. It might just have the tag. Um, when Moses came down, he did not know that his face was shining. Have you guys ever been in caves where if you shine a black light on them, they glow, these rocks glow for a certain amount of time? You ever been in those caves? I can't remember what the rocks were. I have, I was one in Tucson. I went to one in Tucson, and if you did the light, I, I didn't do any video. I think they told us we weren't allowed to record it. So 
you know me, I followed those rules. I actually did follow those rules. I'm like, why did I listen? Like it was going to ruin the rocks. But I didn't have any video of it. I was bummed. So Moses comes down from the mountain. And his face is shining. And at first, he covered it. Because the people were like, your face is too shiny. But then he started covering it because his face started to dim. The glory started to fade. But with Jesus, the glory of the new covenant, the promises that are kept in the new covenant, the reality that Jesus died and rose again and gives us power, the reality that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to give us the power to live each and every day, that glory remains. It doesn't fade. It doesn't end. The new covenant doesn't fade. It it, it doesn't grow dim in any way. It never loses power. It's not like this battery that you got to keep charging. But the more we stay in the presence of God, the more he fills us with the power we need. The more we're away from the presence of God, whether that's your morning devotions or things, you, you will feel like you're running out. But the glory in who Jesus is, that power never ends. Paul says then in verse 12, he says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to go, who used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading. The old covenant had fading hope, but the new covenant brings hope. We have hope because of what Jesus did. The old covenant people only had hope for a moment. They only had hope like, okay, we got forgiveness for our sins today. The the goat was sacrificed. And then the next day they sin again. They go, oh, I got to kill someone, an animal again. I've got to bring another sacrifice. And there's this constant. There's no hope. There's no lasting. There's no forever in the hope of the old covenant. It's always dependent upon you. Always dependent upon, are you enough? Are you tall enough to ride this ride? Are you good enough to be in the presence of God? But the new covenant brought hope. And throughout scripture, we see this hope. We are confident that God will keep his word. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, hope filled with joy. Ephesians 1.18. These aren't going to be behind me. Write them down if you want to read them later. Hope of our calling. Colossians 1.5, hope laid up for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, hope of salvation. Hebrews chapter 7, 19, a better hope. 1 Peter 1, 3, that we have a living hope. You see, in this, there was no hope that you'll ever be good enough because if you read it long enough, you'll go, yeah, I messed up on that. Their rules were so strict that on the Sabbath, on the Sunday, if you spit in the ground that was considered plowing the fields and you did work and you failed that day, Can you imagine having the bar set so high? See, that's the law. The law was just setting you up to go, you're never going to be good enough. You need a savior. And this hope, Paul says, is a hope that we can boldly walk in. 
He says, but their minds were hardened until the very day at the reading of the old covenant. The same veil remains unlifted because it removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The old covenant blinded and covered, but the new covenant uncovered and made clear how we can live. The old covenant veiled the purpose of the law. It blinded people. It blinded their hearts. The old covenant made them think they could do it the new covenant says no you don't have to because jesus already did it that's the new covenant the new covenant opened eyes that we might see that there's grace and truth and hope in jesus christ the sixth point that he points out here in this, this, this same section, the old covenant is me-centered. The old covenant goes, me, I've got to do this. I've got to do 151. I've got to do 153. I've got to do, um, 152 says, not to have relations with your son's wife. That was a random one to read. <laughs> so don't do that. <clears throat> That's bad. But they had to write that down. <laughs> Of all to read today, there you go, I'm going to highlight. Help me, somebody help me remember to find a different one to randomly read next service. The new covenant, though, is Christ-centered. It's putting your hope and faith in him. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. The covenant is powered by rules. The old covenant. Rules, rules, rules. The new covenant is powered by the Spirit. That gives you what you need each and every day. The old covenant gives you power according to how, you know, when you do the best you can, you're like, oh, man, I feel really good today. Like, but there's no power in this. John tells us this about the Spirit. That through the Spirit we can be born again. Down John 7, the, the Holy Spirit is with us. John 14, the Holy Spirit is our helper. John 15, the Holy Spirit gives us truth. John 15, the Holy Spirit testifies, tells us about Jesus. John 16, the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts. John 16, also the Holy Spirit will guide you in your life. See, the old covenant just pointed out and said, this is how much of a failure you are. Jesus, through the new covenant, says, but this is how I power you. Through my spirit. God powers us through his spirit, through his word, through song, through godly counsel and godly friends. That's how God powers us through his spirit. Paul's final highlight that he had here regarding the old and new covenant is found in verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. See, the old covenant condemns. The old covenant keeps you the same. And sometimes that old covenant condemnation comes at you over and over and over again. Where it reminds you, look at you're not really a Christian. 
Those thoughts come back. Look, you're not changed. You're still doing that. You're still looking at what you shouldn't look at. You're still drinking. You're still struggling. You still get angry at your kids. You still do this. You still do that. You guys ever have those things that bring back to your memory? You ever have that come back? The old covenant loves to do it. The old covenant says, look at that. You missed point three hundred and fifty-four, which I'm not going to read because I don't know what it says. Something about birds and the priest. That's what the old covenant does. The new covenant, when you are walking by the Spirit, the Spirit says, yes, that is not good for you, but I forgave you. The new covenant, it says that you are being transformed, that you are being sanctified, that this is a, a work in progress. You are all under construction. You know when you drive through in our city street somewhere, you find some road is under construction? That's your life. Your life is under construction. You are being transformed. And we're all at different phases of our transformation. We like to compare ourselves to somebody else. I'll never be as good as them. I'm not where they are. I don't understand the Bible like they do. I could never be them. Man, they're way better parents than I am. Or they're, she's a way better wife. Or he's a way better husband. Or they're way, they're all these things. They're a way better kid. Or they're a way better student or parent, whatever. And we compare ourselves. We're all at different places on this race. Paul says, but in this new covenant, we are all being transformed. You're not being transformed into me. So why do you compare yourselves to somebody else on this race? God's not transforming Jared into Jeremiah or Jeremiah into Jared. God's not transforming Trevor into Keith. God is transforming Trevor into Christ. So he doesn't compare himself. And God's not up there going, how good are you looking today? No, God's going, I am working in you. So when the Holy Spirit of hope convicts us, it's not convicting us to make you feel stupid. It's convicting you going, hey, I'm transforming. I'm chiseling that away. And sometimes that conviction hurts. Sometimes that chiseling away of when you realize you didn't do something here and you're like, ah, God's not going, yeah, you feel bad. God's going, I'm chiseling that but you have hope in Jesus. You are a new creation in me. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Colossians 3, 10 says, and you are a new, and you, he says, and put on the new self who's being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created you. You are being made into the image of Jesus. The old covenant, you are not, you, you can't, you cannot be made in the image of Jesus by this because this says do it on your own. The new covenant says Jesus did it for you. It says trust him and let him do the work. Philippians 3.21, who will transform your body. This Christian life is not about rules and regulations, but it's, it's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about getting to know him each and every day.
And the more you walk with him, the more you start to walk like him. The more you walk with him, the more you start to act like him. The more you read his word, the more it starts changing you. The more you're around God's people, whether it's in a belong group, and all of a sudden you hear one dad go, yeah, I'm really struggling with parenting this week, and you go, me too. You hear another guy say, you know what, I'm struggling with work. There's this idiot that I have to work with every single day. And you're like, hey, do we work with the same person? And you realize that we're all on this struggle bus together. And the one dad says, so you, you talk to the guy, you said, so what, what you, you know, random, you go, so what'd you do in that situation? He goes, you know what, I just had to stop, pray, and forgive him. And you're like, you can do that? And all of a sudden, little by little, you're being transformed. You're realizing there's grace. You're realizing you're never going to reach this point in your life on your own. And it's only done through the power of Jesus Christ. And it's in this transforming power that Jesus makes you adequate. It's in Jesus' transforming power that we are welcomed into a relationship with him. It's in his transforming power through the Holy Spirit that we will do far more in this life than we could ever imagine or think. It's through his power. Paul says in Ephesians 3 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with all power through, the, through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell, live in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, understand with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ. That's, that's, that's sort of what, what, we, what drives us is, I want to know more about this love of Jesus. Because the more you know about the love of Jesus, the more you know he did this, and he reached this so that he could lift you up so that he could love you and help you become the person that you so desire to be. But it's all done in his power. It says, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory to the church in Jesus Christ. To him who's able to do more. Because we all struggle. But Jesus can forgive. He loves. And he will give you the power to live each and every day. You'll never be enough on your own. And that's okay. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, he was already enough for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. some of us, we still struggle. We struggle with feeling inadequate, being enough. Lord, I ask, God, that we would put our faith in you, realizing, Jesus, that you are enough. In your name. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click the follow button and tune in next week for another great message.